great day to be here. Pastor Chris is over at the Calvary campus, and, and I'm always so honored to be able to fill the pulpit here at the Owasso campus. And, and I'm so thankful for Pastor Chris, and, and he is such a good, tender leader. Um, and, and the work that God has been doing through First Baptist Owasso, um, one church in two locations, it's just been a really incredible journey for the past couple of years. And today I get the privilege of closing out our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your word with you, which I hope you do, go ahead and turn to chapter 12 because that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Um, and what we've seen throughout uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is, is that as we looked at this wisdom literature, it has given us insight and, and caused us to, to take a little bit of a pause and to look um, not only at our work, but our life and our pleasure, uh, but then also to, to contemplate death. How does, what does it look like to prepare to die well? And so sometimes when you look at the book of Ecclesiastes and you think, what in the world does this have to do with me as a 21st century Christian? Um, but what we can have confidence in is the fact that this, that this is God's word. And every bit of it is, is applicable to our lives today, and we benefit from it. And so we're going to glean from the wisdom as the King Solomon, the preacher, closes this idea and gives us a summary. And when he does, it's a little bit of a sober time here. If, if you remember, our memory verse for this series was uh, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. And at the end, chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 14 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And if you're like me, that doesn't make you comfortable. That makes you uncomfortable. Because every one of us can look at our lives and see things that we would wish would remain secret, would, would remain hidden. But the fact of the matter is, is that we've got to live our life with this truth in mind. So we're going to take a look at that this morning. And, and the major doctrine that I want to defend is that to be human is to obey our Creator to whom we will give an account. To be human is to obey our Creator to whom we will give an account. And this is the fact of the matter, is that we will be judged on how well we live out our created purpose. And our created purpose, I believe, can be summarized in three things. To obey God, to glorify God, and to enjoy Him. And so we will be evaluated in light of those three things. And so we're going to make three stops this morning. Um, and you'll see it in your handout, in your little bulletin. You'll be able to follow along with me and see kind of where I am and, and keep pace with me. But the first stop we're going to look at is how not to forget your Creator. Then we're going to move on to looking at the entire purpose of Adam. And then we're going to end with this idea of secret things. So we're going to look at how not to forget your creator, the entire purpose of Adam, and secret things. So as we get started this morning, if you'll stand with me, we'll, we'll read our scripture. But I want to ask you a question as you're standing. Have you ever heard anybody say, this is what I was born to do? Have you ever heard anyone say that? This is what I was born to do. Well, we're going to consider that fact this morning, and we're going to ask that question. What were we born to do um, as we get going this morning? But let's get into our text this morning. So chapter 12, we're going to read the whole chapter, verse 1 through 14. The scripture says this, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain, in the day when the, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the streets are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and the terrors are in their way. 
The almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The word of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed with the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. May be seated. So he ends here a little bit heavy. But the beginning of it, we see this idea of, of, of remembering a creator in our days of our youth. And as we look at wisdom literature, and, and as, a, as a summary here, the preacher has given us many insights into life and these big questions. What's the meaning of all of this? And, you know, there's sometimes there's, there's questions in life that we don't have good answers for. And I'm reminded of, of the story of Albert Einstein. Uh, he's on a train, and he's sitting next to a young man, and he thinks to himself, I'm, gonna, I'm just going gonna, gonna to play a little game with this young man. And so he says to the young man, hey, uh, i got a deal for you. If I ask you a question and you can't answer it, you've got to give me $50. And the young man's like, why in the world would I play that game with you? You're Albert Einstein. He goes, well, here's the catch. You can ask me any question, and if I can't answer it, then I have to pay you $500. So the young man says, surely there's one question I can ask him that he can't answer. So it's a 10 to 1 ratio. I'm likely to make money in this. So he says, okay, let's go. So uh, Albert Einstein says, okay, well, I'll go first and I'll ask you a question. The young man says, sure, let's do it. So Albert Einstein says, how far is the moon away from the earth? And the young man goes, "Ah, I should know this. I don't know. And Albert Einstein says, okay, give me $50. So the young man gives him $50. And Albert Einstein says, okay, it's your turn. You ask me a question. If I can't answer it, I have to pay you $500. The young man says, okay, let me think for a second. He thought for a second, and he goes, okay, I've got it. What goes up the mountain with three legs but comes down the mountain with four? And Albert Einstein said, he's he's thinking, you're running the algorithms in the head. He's thinking, oh, wait. He finally goes, I I don't know. And so he goes, okay, you got to pay me $500. He goes, okay, Albert, it's your turn next. He goes, well, hang on. Before I ask you another question, what is the answer to your question? What goes up the mountain with three legs and comes down with four? And the young man goes, I have no idea. Here's $50. (laughs) You have this idea that sometimes in life there's questions that we can't answer. Sometimes we look and we say, there's no sense to be made of any of this. But the beauty is, is that God has given us his written word, and here we find answers. Here we find clarity. Here we find wisdom. Here we find instruction. And so even a book like Ecclesiastes, which seems difficult upon first reading, we've got to consider it and weigh it as if it was truly God's word to us, which it is. And so I want us to unpack some of these ideas this morning. And so let's start with this first point of how not to forget your creator. You see in verse 1 it says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. 
Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So it's this idea of while you're young, while you're strong, while there's uh, vitality and vigor, remember your creator then. You know, it's, it's, really, it's really a point of when things are going well. When you have little to worry about, we have little concerns, you have much strength, you're basically in good health, remember your creator then. Because you know what human nature is? Is we tend to remember God only when what? Only when we're in need of something. Only when things are going poorly. Only when we get sick. Only when we're in trouble. And so what Solomon is saying here is saying, pause. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. Before you're worn out. Before you're old. Remember God when things are going well. And so I want us to think through a couple of things that I believe are helpful in uh, helping us to, to not forget our Creator. And the first thing, it has this whole um, premise of remembering God. And how we can remember God is first, I want to put on the screen, practice His presence. What do I mean, practice His presence? Um, well, think of it like this. Have you ever been in a conversation uh, and you're talking with a friend perhaps, but then when you get up to leave and then you walk around the corner and right there's someone you know also and they're within earshot of your conversation and you think to yourself, did they just hear everything I said? There's, there's, this, there's a presence that was there, but you didn't know about it. And so you're rethinking, man, what did I say? Did I say anything bad? Am I in trouble now? Did I, did I offend somebody? And, and, and this is something that can happen to us on a human level, but what we would do well to consider is the fact that God is present at all times. There's nowhere where God is not. And sometimes we feel a little bit like um, God's in, intruding on our space. As if we can draw a circle around us and say, in this area, this is where your, your limits are, are, are bound here. You're, you're not allowed in this circle. It's like a child who says to a parent, you can't come in my room. But for the parent, what can the parent do? The parent can come in the room. There's no spot in that house where the parent can't go because the child says so. So we would do well to think of it like this. When we're thinking of God's presence, one, he is everywhere because he is truly sovereign. You can't be sovereign in a place where you don't exist. So God exists everywhere. He's omnipresent. There's not a place that he isn't, he, it, there's nothing that he doesn't hear. There's nothing that he doesn't see. Everything you hear, he hears. Everything you, you see, he sees. There's nothing off limits to God. And so what we would do well in practicing his presence is to consider that fact. And to consider that there's not a place where he is not. But not only that, it should bring us comfort. And it should bring us comfort when we are considering that he is everywhere. And it brings us comfort when we are walking with him. We are comforted by his presence. But you know what? It's also a test. Because if there's ever a moment where you think God is present and I don't want him to be present, in that moment it's possible that you would prefer to sin in private. If there's ever a point where you think to yourself, God is here and I'd rather him not be here, perhaps in that moment you're desiring to sin in private. Have you ever had a toddler uh, and when they're getting ready to do something bad, they go in the next room to kind of do it in secret? That's kind of that concept. If we wish to go away from God, out of his presence, out of his view, what we're really doing is like the toddler, we're wishing to sin in private. But what we've got to do is we've got to remember, as the preacher says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And part of remembering our creator is practicing his presence. 
And I want to give us a couple of things to think through that are helpful in practicing his presence in a practical way. One, praise him. Just tell God how much you love him, how beautiful he is, how perfect he is, how holy he is. Lift him up, admire him. When we do that, we are remembering him. You know what the opposite of that is? Is to praise ourself or to worship an idol. You can forget your creator when you're worshiping yourself or you're worshiping an idol. So a good practice in every one of our lives ought to be to praise God. Practice his presence through praising him. Praise him, admire him. Also confess to him. You can practice the presence of God when you confess your sins to him. The opposite of this might be uh, to be presumptuous in your sin. Do you remember when David said, um, forgive me God of my secret sins, the sins I don't even know about? But also help me not to become a slave to my presumptuous sins. Those are the sins in which we're flippant. We're like, yeah, I know it's wrong and I don't care. That's flippant, presumptuous sin. So be mindful of God. Practice his presence in praising him and confessing your sin, but also thank him. And part of the way in which we cannot thank him and not practice his presence and to forget him is to feel entitled. Either everything I've got was owed to me. It's just what I had coming. The other is that you just be ungrateful for it. And then further, possibly more offensive to us as Americans, is, is, is to have this view questioned, which is the view of everything I have is because of me and my hard work and my great intelligence. I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made woman. When we say that, that's a practical way in which we are forgetting our Creator because there's not a single thing that we have that hasn't been given to us by God. I don't know about you, but I wasn't uh, afforded the opportunity in heaven. Here's your sandwich list of all the attributes and characteristics that you would like. Hey, check them off here. Hey, what IQ would you like? Oh, I'd like this one. What kind of parents would you like? I'd like this. Where would you like to live? I don't know about you, but I never got that option. What happened was I woke up in a world and I thought, I live here? Those are my parents? This is my family? Why couldn't I have been born to those people? They seem to have it together. Why couldn't I be a little smarter, a little better looking, a little more talented? Right? Every one of us, you think like that, but this is, this is what you got. So what are you going to do with it? But every opportunity you have, every blessing you have, your job, every bit of it comes from God. And so a way in which we can practically keep from forgetting our Creator is to recognize that He has given us good things and to thank Him for it. Don't be ungrateful, don't be entitled, and don't think you're a self-made person, because you're not. But then also, a little bit more humbling and practicing his presence is to live as if one day you will give an account. Sometimes we live uh, and never give a thought to the end to coming, never thinking about the fact that we will one day stand before God. But this is true. And so I want to move into our second stop this morning to look at this, this, this idea of the entire purpose of Adam. And it's really focusing in on verse 13. Verse 13 says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Do you see that here? The end of the matter, all has been heard. He's saying, here's, here's the epilogue. Here's the summary. Let me condense it down. Let me synthesize it for you in a bite-sized chunk. Two things. One, fear God. Two, keep his commandments. 
Pretty simple. Um, you know, sometimes people, some people say, oh, when you come to uh, the scripture, and it says, fear God, and keep his commandments, but when it says, fear God, that doesn't really mean fear God, it means something else. Let me, let me remind you, let me tell you, very point blank and surely, that when it says, fear God, it means fear God. Because what Jesus said was that you shouldn't fear man who can only kill you, but you should fear God who can destroy you completely, both your spirit and your flesh. So there's an idea here that it's a, there's a rightness in fearing God and seeing him as he truly is. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying forget that he's tender, forget that he's merciful, forget that he's compassionate. That's not the point, but there's a premise that precedes this obedience, the premise being that we fear God. We have a healthy respect for him as who he is. And it's, it's, a, it's analogous to our fatherly relationships. And I don't know what kind of a father you have, and maybe you can't relate to this, but there's a certain sense in which when I think about my dad, I fear him in a good way, and more when I was young than now. And I've, I've done my part to make sure my children fear me. Does that mean that I want to harm them and that, I, that I, they're, they're ill will? No. But there should be a rightness to respecting our Heavenly Father as he is the creator and we are the creature. He is absolutely sovereign. He is worth respecting. And there's a humbleness that comes with that, that I believe that we start to look at this in a proper light. And so what we should do when we start to look at this is, is, is recognize this truth statement I want to put up here, that life is literally about obeying God, the end. And you might think, no, that's not all life is about. Life is about a lot of other things. Well, I think you can summarize truly, it is about obeying God. Literally the entire purpose of Adam, and we're going to get to this here in just a second, is to obey God. And you can take it down any number of paths. You can say, well, well, what if I go this way or what if I go that way? It doesn't really matter. Because what we can always say at every fork in the road is we can say, does this opportunity lead to disobedience? And if it does, it ought to be avoided. No matter how good it sounds, it ought to be avoided. So even in good things, if it's not the right thing, it can become disobedience. And so it should be avoided. But there's a lot of other good things in our lives that we can enjoy and still be obedient to the Lord. And I could give you a number of examples, but let's just do one. You think of, of, of even ministry, and I've said it before, Jonah. Jonah had a specific job to do, to go preach to Nineveh, and he didn't want to do that job. Now picture Jonah. What if Jonah said, well, you know what, I'd rather go teach a Sunday school somewhere. I'd rather go uh, play in the worship band or something like that. I'm still with serving God. But even doing a good thing, he would be disobedient. So in, in, in your choices, we have paths, and this would be a good thing, and this would be a good thing. But we have to stop and ask, and either one of these paths, would it lead to disobedience? Would I be sinning in it, even if the thing itself isn't necessarily bad, but I wouldn't be obeying God? So literally everything can be summarized to, am I obeying God or am I being disobedient to God? For this is the whole duty of man, and this is what it says here. It says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. What's interesting is in the Hebrew, it actually, um, when you look at this word duty in our English translation, that word duty is implied, which means it's not really there in the Hebrew. The Hebrew is kol ha'aram, which literally means all of Adam, all of man. So duty is right, 
It says our whole duty is, is this. But if you took out that word duty, it would say, for this is the whole of man. Literally what Ecclesiastes here is saying is that the whole of man, what man was made for, is to obey God. And so when we think about how, what does it mean to be human? It means to be obedient to God. You ever heard that saying, uh, to err is human, to forgive is divine? It's not true. It's the, it's the place we find ourselves now, yes, to be human is to err. But to be human is to obey God. Because what it means is not some self-righteousness or some sort of self-congratulating religious morality in which we are um, uh, you know, congratulating ourselves for keeping God's law. What we're really looking at is this deep, heartfelt, and humble acceptance of what it means to be truly human before God. Recognizing who he is and recognizing who we are. And the thing that we were created to do was to obey him, to glorify him, and to enjoy him forever. And that's what sin keeps us from doing. Sin keeps us from obeying him. Sin keeps us from glorifying him. And sin keeps us from enjoying him. And so we've got to ask this question, what does it look like to do this? And I think that it's a good practice for us every morning when we wake up and every night when we go to sleep to look and reflect, have I been obedient to God? I had a conversation with, with somebody recently. Um, we're talking about ministry and callings and, and all these different things. And I, and I said to this person, and I said, I can't tell you exactly what you need to do. That's something between you and the Lord. But here's a couple of things that you can consider, and I want to share them with you because I think it's pertinent. You can ask yourself two things. One, is there anything that I'm doing right now that I shouldn't be doing? Or is there anything that I should be doing that I'm not doing? When you say, what, what should I do with my life? Sometimes we're looking for God to write something in the clouds, send me a message somehow, and when that doesn't happen, we're like, what should I do with my life? What should I, what should I do? We'll start with those two questions. Is there anything in my life that I shouldn't be doing that I need to stop? Consider that. And is there anything in my life that I should be doing that I'm not currently doing? Consider that. Because those two ways that you could be missing the mark. But then there's a third thing. Ask yourself this. Is there anything that I should be doing to prepare for the opportunity in the future that the Lord will provide? Because what we should do, even when it's not perfectly clear, we should be striving for obedience every step of the way. And I can tell you personally, for me, in some ways that's looked like school. Even when I didn't have the opportunity to express what it was I was going to school for, being obedient during that time because I felt like God was putting that on my heart and walking with that, even when there wasn't the opportunity, what that literally did was prepare me so that when the door did open, I could walk through that door. So there's, there's those questions we've got to ask ourselves. Is there something I shouldn't be doing that I am doing? Is there something that I should be doing that I'm not doing? And in the meantime, is there any way in which I should prepare for obedience in the future? And those are things that we've got to wrestle with as we consider this, this, this idea of what it means to fear God and to keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And so reflecting on this day and night. I had a professor at Biola who used to say something pretty simple, but he would be pretty blunt about it. You know, asking ask him these, these questions, getting advice, and he would literally just say, read the Bible and do what it says. And there's memes going all around the school with Dr. Clay Jones, and that was literally him. Read the Bible and do what it says. And you're like, well, can't you give me a little more insight? Like, what more insight do you need? Read the Bible and do what it says. Word, got it. <laughs> Sometimes we need to step back and just 
do that. When the pastor here, the preacher says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, we would do well to reflect on what that means because what this word is, what the Bible is, is chocked full of God's commandments for our lives. And those aren't to oppress us, to keep us from having joy. It literally means to live under God's perfect design and plan for us. And if you read the word and do what it says, all will be well with you. That doesn't mean you won't fall into uh, trials of many kinds. The scripture says you will. But as far as fulfilling your duty, fulfilling what it means to be man, Adam, is to obey God. And when we're obeying God, we glorify God and we enjoy God. And there's this beautiful relationship there. And as we close with our third stop, I want to take a look at verse 14. It says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. For God will bring every deed into judgment. Now you may be tempted to read that and say, no, I'm a Christian. That doesn't apply to me. And before you beat me up, hang on, because I do believe that the gospel is for believers. I do believe that every sin that you've ever committed has been accounted for in Christ. There is no condemnation that remains for believers. There is no punishment that remains for believers. But you know what? The word is still applicable to us. And even though, yes, first order audience was old covenant, it still has meaning for us today. That when you read this, it still applies to you and me. When he says, for God will bring every deed into judgment, there is a reality that everything we've ever done, whether good or evil, will come into account. So think with me. Is there any good that you've done? And you know, we've been trained to not even think like that. Oh, that's arrogant. Uh, we shouldn't think about the good we've done. That's patting ourselves on the back. But that's not true. Because ultimately, if you're taking the credit for it, yes, check yourself there. But God may have used you in beautiful ways to bring about good. And that's going to be called into account in the end time. But then also the more humbling side of it is that the evil that we've done too will come and be brought into account. And I ask this question, are you living as if no one will ever know? You know, sometimes we live as if there are some things that are truly secret that will always remain a secret and it's not true. And I don't know, I'm sure that everyone can relate. I can look at my own life and think that there's a lot of things in my own life that I'm ashamed of. And it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult to, to stand up and be a pastor and a preacher and look at your own life and think of how messed up you are and how unworthy you are. And if it's on your own morality, how unqualified you are, in which you're reminded of the gospel again and again. But here's what we have to do is we have to look at the scripture and let it sting us. We'll talk about the gospel in just a second, but on the first pass, let it sting you. Let it burn you up. Let it, let it warn you because there's goodness in this. You know, I, I think it, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing when we start to look at it that, that if you knew someone was going to come and rob your house at 6.05 tonight, wouldn't you plan to be home? If you got that heads up, wouldn't you plan for it? Wouldn't you act differently? What if you had a heads up? Well, God is literally giving us a head up, heads up. He's giving us a warning saying this is coming. And when you know that it's coming, it means it ought to inform the way in which you live on your way there. Now, I'm going to give you an analogy, and it's a little bit of an awkward analogy, but I think it'll send the point home. 
When you, when you have a heads up, when you know that something is going to happen, you should respond to it. So I asked the question, would your text messaging change if you knew that every single text that you ever sent was filtered through Pastor Chris's laptop, real time, not only that, it was saved forever, and then we printed out a copy each week for everybody to pick up in the foyer. Every text you're, 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 you're popping off, sending, it's going to Pastor Chris's laptop, real time, and we're going to print it out, and we're going to hand it out in the foyer every week. Would that change the way you text? Yes. You might not even be sinning in your text, but you would probably change the way you'd, put, you'd be texting more scripture, wouldn't you? Mmm. Mmm. Praise the Lord. You, you, would, you would change. But here's the point. We have a heads up. God says, hey, this is coming. And we are foolish if we live our lives as if that's not reality, as if there won't be a calling of an account of our lives, whether good or evil, but it is reality. And so I want to warn you, because the scripture warns us to live as if there is a day in which every deed will be brought into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And it ought to inform us so that we can live in a way as if we are preparing for that day. Let us be ready to stand before him. Think about that. Am I ready? Let us ready ourselves to stand before him. But also, let us remember that our salvation does not depend on our performance. In Christianity, you get the verdict before the performance. God isn't waiting up in heaven and saying, um, let's see how this plays out. Let's see if saving this person was a good idea. It isn't as if God is waiting for more information to come in. When you sin, you might be surprised. You think, man, I've been walking with the Lord. Everything's been good. Then, bam, temptation, and you fall into sin, whatever that looks like. You're surprised by it. But you know who's not surprised by it? God is not surprised that you fell into sin. In knowing you full well while you were a sinner, he decided to save you. And that's what the scripture says, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And do you remember also Jesus says that the, I came to heal? He says that the, those who are well don't need the physician, but those who are sick do. So the truth of the gospel is that God is not surprised when we fail, and God is not waiting for us to perform, but through Jesus Christ's performance, we benefit. We are perfectly righteous in Christ. That there is no punishment that remains for believers. We are saved by grace through faith. There's nothing of good works that you can add that makes you any more savable. Or in any way God says, well, yeah, because they did that, that was a good, good decision that we saved them. That is never in God's mind. That's never in the economy of the gospel. And I believe that that from this, we are called to walk in the light as children of God. You know, as, as Baptists, we believe in the security of the believer, and I think that this is worthwhile to consider this fact that if we are one in Christ, we can never be separated from him. There's nothing that can separate us from his love. There's no sin so great that then makes you now outside of Christ. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation and nothing ever can change that relationship status. And from that hope, from that message, we strive 
to live holy lives. Because the beauty of the gospel is that it drives us as we rejoice in thanksgiving. It spurs us on to good deeds. And I want to put this in your mind. The pursuit of holiness is the effect, not the cause, of God's steadfast love. The pursuit of holiness is the effect, not the cause, of God's steadfast love. As we pursue holiness, as we prepare to stand before him one day, that does not mean his steadfast love will increase as our holiness increases. As if somehow we are causing him to love us. But it's actually the reverse. That his great love for us is what causes us to pursue holiness. So today, this week, as you consider what it means to prepare, to ready yourself to stand before God, be reminded that it's according to his great mercy that he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16, do you remember it? For God so loved the world that he sent. Sometimes we get that messed up. Sometimes we're like, I like Jesus, but I can't handle the Father. The Father is too hardcore. Jesus is nice. But then we forget who sent the Son. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. So when we are preparing to stand before God, when our life will be judged, remember that it is he who had mercy and kindness in mind for us. It is he who was compassionate and sent the Son so that we truly might be saved. But let that thankfulness spur us on to pursue holiness, not as the effect of his steadfast, not the cause of his steadfast love, but the effect that he has loved us. And because he has loved us, we want to bring him honor. We want to obey him. So if you'll stand with me this morning, we'll close. I want to remind you of a couple of things. When we feel God is intruding, is it that we wish to sin in private? Ask yourself, if I feel God's intruding, if I feel he's not welcome here, is it in that moment that I wish to sin in private? But take this with you. The pursuit of holiness is the effect, not the cause, of God's steadfast love. And there's really nothing else in life that matters beyond obeying God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it stings us. I thank you that it questions us. But it also nourishes us. And while we reflect on the shame in our lives that we can remember the things that we wish we would be removed further and further from, and it causes us great concern and discomfort considering the fact that those things will be revisited, let that cause us to have pause while we're still alive, recognizing that this is a heads up, that it changes the way in which we live and that we will live as those who are readying themselves to stand before God to give an account of our lives. But Father, at the same time, I pray that you don't let that reality crush us because the truth of the gospel is this, that every sin that we have ever committed, 
And all of the shame and guilt we've ever had has been done away with in Christ Jesus. That our salvation is not dependent upon our performance. It's not dependent upon how well we keep your word and keep your commandments. But we trust in Christ alone. So Father, I pray two things this morning. I pray, Father, for the believers in this room that they will recognize the sweet gift of salvation and that your steadfast love is what causes us to pursue holiness. And I pray for the believers that they will continue to grow in holiness, recognizing that it is our duty to fear you and to keep your commandments. And holiness is to happiness as sin is to sorrow. And Father, for those who are in the room who are not believers, I pray that you convict them. I pray that this scripture warns them. And I pray that they may trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to worship. And if you've got to stand where you are to pray and reflect, do that if you want to come down, that's fine. If you want to know more about what it means to have your guilt and shame dealt with in Jesus Christ, we stand ready to talk to you about that as well. Let's continue to worship.